Woke up this morning with the sundown shining in him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Trip. On a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. Okay, you know you guys aren't privy to all the new so uh, you know that's what you uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. There's just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f*** are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the Sunday... Lord Hall Bay Station Jacks, I'm Tamal. Greg Peppers on the board. SP Futures down 7. Here's a Futures down 24. Um... We have, uh, do we have Mr. Brendan, Professor Brendan? Yes, sir, I heard it, hey, Chief. How are you? I'm doing good. I can barely hear you, but other than that, we'll be, <clears throat> I'm sure our man Greg will fix that in a second. Um, are you here? Are you in Michigan? What are you doing? Um, I came over for uh, for Thanksgiving. We were in, in Michigan all weekend. We had Bale's sons and families over there uh, for an early Thanksgiving and just came back yesterday afternoon. So how many birds are you eating? Well, I, um, we, you know, we have wild turkeys over there. Um, you're not, not about just to go drinkable blast. kind. You're not about to go blast one of those guys. <laughs> no, we're not going to blast those guys. But uh, we do see them. In fact, as we were coming home yesterday, there was turkey running down the road. We're not sure if he was running to someplace or away from someplace. Um, Audrey has. Audrey used to have a place down in uh, Ogden Dunes, <clears throat> and there's uh, still some friends down there. So. I went out to do a, uh, <clears throat> this a while ago, I went out to take a walk, nice hilly area, nice nice walking, and this lady, <clears throat> I don't know how she <clears throat> pissed these two turkeys off in her car, but she did, and she was going slow, she didn't want to hit them, they were pecking at her tires, they're, they're, they're mean suckers. <laughs> they are mean suckers. I mean, they have, they have kind of like no natural enemy, really, because there was one of the, uh, the knuckleheads on TV was saying... Well, can as if turkeys could fly. Well, turkeys can fly for for short. Just distances. not very long. They they can fly enough to get up into a tree and sleep there at night. Mm-hmm. And they can they can fly for like a hundred yards to get away from something. And nobody wants to be you in know, the way of that beak. Right, and and Ben Franklin wanted them to be the national bird instead of the American eagle. Um, so we would be turkeys instead of eagles. That's right. But I like the fact that. Uh, some of my blasting buddies will go anywhere, miles and miles, to go get a turkey. Maybe they, maybe they're they're five ten years before they get one. And then you see them walking down the street, and you go, "One of the guy, uh, Blaster Al, he's actually been on the show. Restaurant Al's also Blaster Al." So I was giving him no one to grief one night at the Triple A. Go, Al, how many how many times have you gone in the last two years to get a turkey and haven't got one? Uh, about three. All I had to do was open up my back door. <clears throat> the guy would have hopped in. <laughs> what I, I could have brought him to you. <clears throat> you could have blasted him in the back seat. Ah, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> okay, whatever. Um, so, what do you make of uh, what we're what we're doing here? And we've just had a 
10% rally in the S&P in the last four weeks. Seemingly, we're back into this. Fed's going to throw money in, and the market's going straight to the moon, and we're going to manufacture all this money. We've got a few stocks that are absolutely crazily high compared to the rest of the market. This is this is so much like 2000. It's it, I, I can't even. It's almost like a nightmare, Brennan. But yet again, every day, everybody's convinced this is this is going to keep going. And mm-hmm. uh, and you know maybe it is. I, I'm actually making sure I'm uh, you know at least somewhat long for my people, even though they're protected. But it's kind of hard to want to be real long after a 10% move. But uh, still, I mean, it's I don't the uh, the lessons of the last few years. I I read this. I think I mentioned it to you five months ago and. Uh, some guy was uh, writing write this article, and he goes, basically, don't be a bunch of dummies, you know, guys like me, who, who uh, try and p- put some common sense on what's going on. He said, we just came through a, 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 a huge depression with, every, with everything shut down for COVID for two years, and the market did nothing but go straight up because the Fed poured money in the system. So why does everybody think if we enter a recession, we're going to go down? Because they're going to do the same damn thing. We're going to go up if there's a recession, not down. Because, but well, it's, it's all going to be funny money, but it's going to it's going to go up. And if you're not in the market, you're not in an asset, you're going to get eviscerated like 80 percent of the population is. And but if you've got assets and you got stocks, you're going to do fine. But why, well, you know, that's, how, that's how interesting because you know I think the closer we get to the election year coming up, and you know we're really in the election year right now, we're less than a year away from the election. Um, there's going to be a lot more movement in positive directions if it can be done. By the federal government, I now, the I think the the thing to watch out for is politically is it going to be able to happen because of the dysfunction of the House right now um, for any approvals. But I do think that we're going to see uh, ways to try to to m- improve the economy, but not only improve the economy, but improve the economy where people recognize the economy is improving, um, which are two that? different things. Well, that's if the. The people who have control of the media, the people on stock, right, right, and they're and they're happy as a clam. But at some point, you sit there and watch the individual stocks. If it was even across the board, it'd be one thing, but it's not. It's all mm-hmm. in seven or eight stocks. Although it's starting to spread out a little bit. But I mean, you know, how, how much higher? And this, I've got Nvidia. It's down actually forty one cents, trading five oh three. The straddle tonight for the earnings is forty bucks. Which I think is low. I'm not going to do anything with it. I'm sure I'm going to buy it for forty bucks. I think it's low. But last time, it moved what eighty, seventy. I mean, I, I don't want to be a bit surprised if the stock is six hundred dollars tonight. And, and some because the guy who's the chairman is a two-bit carny huckster. He comes out and all he does, <laughs> all he does is talk about. And yet, I've been reading reports that there's people that are actually they're lending people money to buy the supply line of their chips. They're, they're, they're faking the, the uh, they're part of a group that is essentially faking the backlog to drive the stock up. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but if it is, for God's sake, if, it, if it's even remotely true, how do you, how does somebody do something like that? Well, how do you know, I mean, I, I, I'm going to question, how do you know that's true? I mean, how do you prove that that's true or not true? Well, you, you don't. I mean, that's why, but, it, but that's, it, it isn't the first time that some company has faked the backlog. Right? Right. I mean, if you look at NVIDIA and you say, okay, why is the stock trading up there? Why is it a bazillion times earnings and revenue? Um, you, you'll say, well, God, they're, they're going to sell these chips out the next however many years. 
and they're the only game in town, which they really aren't. And it, and look look at what they have. And there's there's some some guy. I've, I've got I've got it here somewhere. In fact, I, I probably tried to throw it out. Some some guy who was involved in the mortgage fiasco and never went to jail is involved in whatever this is going on. Carl knows all about it. Maybe I'll ask him on Friday to go over it again. But there, people are lending money to this group that is that is essentially buying in advance the chips. Now, I, I hope it's wrong. <laughs> I hope it's not true. It's just some you know crazy stuff that people write. But you have to ask yourself, what has to go right for a firm to grow into that size? I mean, I, I mean, I looked at the um, Nvidia, not Nvidia, uh, the uh, tells the name it, Adobe, and, and they've been clicking along, going up just as much as the other group. They've been kind of unnoticed, and they've got a patent, and they've you know got their shtick. They've got their little monopoly, and they're, you know they're good for it. Well, I've got them now. That the stock is up again. It was up another ten bucks yesterday. I mean, every day. But we're not talking about a dollar or two, Brendan. We're talking about, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars per day in their market cap of these places in some of mm-hmm. these days. I mean, it's not. We're not talking about chump change. We're not talking about, you know, uh, Delta Airlines going from thirty-six and a quarter to thirty-six fifty. We're not. We're not. We're not talking about that at all. We're talking about a stock with millions of shares outstanding going from like four hundred to five hundred in a couple of weeks. That's mm-hmm. kind of that's kind of like a lot. Um, that's that's a huge amount, and uh, it's a huge movement. I mean, Microsoft's going to be three trillion in market cap. In uh, well, let's, I mean, this is. I look at their they're, they're 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 getting close to three trillion. All right, so the stock's three seventy five. So I'm going to say in in uh, where where were we in uh, 2019? It was uh, one trillion. So. They've tripled the size of the place in three years, four years. I don't, I don't think that their revenue has tripled in three years at all. Or, or earnings? Do you? No. No. I mean, I'm not saying. No, I, I agree that there's there's some funky kind of movements there. Well, I just, you know, what has to happen? I mean, if, if it's Bre- Brendan Pappas Inc. and you guys uh, start, you know, let's just say you're in the defense industry, and all of a sudden you make. God knows what you make, bullets or shells or whatever, and all of a sudden a couple wars break out, and all and your stack runs up, and I look at it and I go, wow, these guys are, you know, ten times revenue, not not earnings, but revenue. I say, man, that's that's pretty high. And then I look at the future and I go, looks to me like these guys actually can double <coughs> or triple in the next couple of years because everybody has basically shot off all their bullets, and these these dudes actually can double or triple or more over the next four or five years, and this price, even though it looks outrageous, is justified. I mean, I, that's hap- that happens not all the time, but it, it can happen, right? And that's reasonable. And that's reasonable. But you look at a at Adobe and you say, okay, uh, the dudes have $18 billion a year in revenue. How exactly does that, do they triple that over the next few years? I mean, if, if all these companies grow into their what I consider to be what they have to do to make these prices worth legitimate, Brendan, it's it's like three times the, the, the national debt for God's sake, or not the national debt, the GDP. I mean, they they can't all do it. We're just not big enough. It's the same same the same issue that happened in in, uh, in two thousand. I went through all those stocks. They were the Oracles, the Cisco, and I go. If all these people need to double in three years, the GDP has to like triple. And maybe one or two of them can do it, and hopefully I have the right one for my clients, but it, I don't see how they all do it, do you? No. It, it, it's impossible for all of them to do it. 
And I, so you know, how do you pick which ones? How do you pick which ones are are going to do it, and which ones are? Well, that, how do you pick the winners and the losers. Well, that's what we did yesterday on the show. We talked about um, when you invest, and you can you can cut some of this out by doing the ETFs or, or doing the indexes. But when you invest, there's there's three essentially kinds of risk. One is single stack risk. <clears throat> I'm going to buy Greg Pappas's firm, and the next day it's announced Greg Pappas is a, is a total crook. And by the way, all the money they said they were making, they never made. Blah blah blah. And the stock goes from 100 to 10. And maybe it's well, not even more. Well, in that case, 10. Greg can run for for Congress. Oh, absolutely. That's okay. He's Without, he's got a back. He's that, got a backstop. Oh yeah, he's he's got he's got senator written all over him if that happens. <laughs> um, but so that's single stock risk. I mean, that can happen. Or, you know, Greg can be in the in the uh, the bullet industry in the defense industry, and miraculously tomorrow there's a ceasefire in Ukraine, a ceasefire in Gaza. And nobody shoots another bullet at anybody for the next decade. Well, that's an industry risk, right, in the defense industry. Then there's full market risk, where, okay, the Fed actually gets some, they got somebody in there and says, I'm not, I'm not playing this game anymore. I'm not just going to pour money into the system and make rich people richer. I'm going to, I'm going to actually run this money supply at two percent a year. And oh, by the way, we're backing it up some because of how much we put in the last few years. Well, we're not, we're not going to see that. <clears throat> you know, Paul Volcker's not coming back. We're not going to see that. These that that'll never happen again, because nobody wants that. I mean, not, the right people don't want that. So wh- wh- whatever it is, we're going to drive this. We're, we're closer to being Weimar than we are being Volcker U.S. Because th- whatever it takes, they're going to keep these prices up. And it's it, it you get, you can get used to it so much, Brent. I mean, the uh, I've been going through some of these numbers. And last week we were talking a little bit about what is a uh, a bond worth that you bought from the government mm-hmm. three years ago, and I actually put it in the bond calculator. And if you bought a million dollar thirty year bond three years ago, so I mean, just got twenty seven years left at one and a half percent, which actually wasn't the bottom. The bottom was like one point two. Today at four and a half percent, that's worth four hundred seventy thousand. That's in three years mm-hmm. you've lost over half your money. Mm-hmm. And the interesting part is we have banks that are in trouble because of that, right? Because if right. all of a sudden they have to sell them, <laughs> they have to mark them to market. They don't. Ha- some some idiot said they don't have to mark them to market normally like a regular person does. That they can make believe they're still worth a million dollars. Whoever whoever decided to do that, I you know I don't I don't know how they pull that one off, Brandon. But, but that's insanity, right? That you actually, that, that, I agree. That's what they call a zombie bank. In, in, in a, anyway, so you don't people don't. I mean, how many insurance companies? How many banks are technically insolvent right now? The mm-hmm. weird part is, the Fed. This is the part that you couldn't write fiction like this. Not, not even, not even you on your most connected political day would say, "Okay, wait a minute." The Fed is now going to criticize a bank for buying the crap that we sold them. <laughs> Everybody's talking to the Fed about these these bad bad bonds that these people have, and they're the ones that sold it to them. You couldn't write fiction. Well, that was, that was also true with the mortgages. When when the mortgage collapse happened, and they forced banks to, to buy like Washington Mutual, um, and, the, you know, they they took all the bad loans. Um, they did, and it, the funny part there was it, it really wasn't the loans. It was the paper on top of the loans, right? Mm-hmm, right. I mean, there was, that's, that's why this time, when I think, I actually believe that the housing prices right now are more dangerously high than they were during 2007, meaning matched up against people's average income. Mm-hmm. I think they're actually worse. 
but you don't see anywhere near the uh, at least I don't th- I don't see it. You don't see anywhere near the the packing on top of the of the mortgage the uh, the mortgage whatever the things they were selling the mortgage uh, packages. The most collateral most, securities, mortgage backed securities. Yeah, most of those, you know, most of those weren't there weren't even any any mortgages in there. They mm-hmm. they, they were synthetic. The, the big huge one, the first one that blew up with the uh, was it Barclays Bank that Goldman Sachs had sold them or something. Remember the one over in Europe that blew up and it was Goldman was in? Was it Goldman that was the people that sold it to I him? Don't, I, I don't think it was Goldman. I can't remember who it was. Well, somebody was Morgan. One of those guys. Maybe sold, Morgan Stanley. Yeah, one of those guys that sold this thing that totally blew up. It was the one that everybody said. Remember the guy, the guy was pulling the good ones out of there or something and putting mm-hmm. the crummy ones in there so they knew it was going to... It, it was the the uh, impetus of the big short. Mm-hmm. What did you say, Greg? Who was it? I couldn't hear you, but... Uh, don't just talk to me. Talk to both of us. What was Wachovia. It? Wachovia was one of them. Wachovia yeah. was one of them. But there wasn't. They didn't. They didn't have people. Were, there was such a demand for those products at six percent that they they made synthetic packages. They were. Mm-hmm. They they just doubled up on somebody else's package. <laughs> right. Like, anyway, bizarre stuff, Brennan. But I mean, right now, if you were to, there was a. Of course, I would have this discussion with my significant other who's in real estate business. And, uh, you know, Ud's the best and is really good at what she does. Matter of fact, I can't believe how good she is. I, I, I surely stay out of the way for don't screw it up for her. Um, but the, uh, there was a piece of paper, and I have it here somewhere, that started talking about that the average price of a home, the mean price of a home in 2007 was like two, what did it get to, Brennan, 235, 240, something like that? Sounds about right. And, uh, and how the only 15% of the population could actually afford that home because if you had 20% down if you had saved it or daddy gave it to you or mommy gave it to you or you won the lottery or something if you put 20% down which brings you down to say 240 that's 48 off it so you got a $192,000 mortgage so $192,000 mortgage the mortgages were about six and a quarter I think Mm -hmm. you you needed 85,000 to cover the mortgage the insurance the taxes in the median home, and uh, only 15% of the population. This is one income now. Um, now, if you had two incomes, obviously it's different. But the uh, and they went through the the average person who works in a restaurant makes 20 grand. This is in 2007. The average person who sits in a cubicle downtown and like does something, you know, catalog stuff or whatever you're doing, they make like 40 something. And people who work in in hospitals that are even Tech people, not doctors. Most of the people in the hospitals that even have you know a real training and a real training and a real job. I mean, they all do, but we're in like the sixty-five range. There weren't very many people that were making over eighty-five. I mean, right? Um, you know, obviously lawyers and maybe some traders and so forth. But the uh, so the numbers didn't match up. So why well, do we have this conversation? I go, oh, it looks to me like unless income picks up somewhere, these housing prices are just too high. Oh, what do you mean? You know, blah blah, blah usual. But uh, and sure enough, they come flying down. Well, now mm-hmm. the average price of a house is what four oh five. So it's it's up. What is that? What's one one two thirty five to four oh five? It's not double, but it's it's up eighty percent. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't see uh, people making. So what would that be? That's one hundred and fifty to get in the place. Yeah, so there's nowhere near that. That, that is not kept up at all. No, I, that is not kept up. I mean, I, 
So what is that? When what percentage of population makes over 150? It's got to be 10 to 12, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, you know, it's because some people are making way more than that, but that that's a lot. I mean, they have a salary of you know 150. I mean, it's yeah. um, so. I mean, and in terms of affordability, and for a long time, you know, the, the mortgage rates went down to three, three and a half, which which made some of it a lot better. But now I don't know that that's uh, not, now it doesn't. Now you know, you're the other way. Hey, I've got a question for you though. What's odds position on this uh, NAR case? It was just uh, decided. How's that? How does she see that's going to impact you know what her business and the real estate business overall? I, if it will it? I just I just saw that and I was going to prep her for that on Monday, maybe around around a little longer with John Flanagan because uh, explain what all that is because it has to do with the, with the sellers for the, for those that don't know. I mean, I, I'm not. I read these articles about these guys and these laws they're passing, Brennan. I don't think they even know the state of the business today. I mean, their idea is somebody has to pay six percent. It's all fixed. It's all this. First of all, Audrey never. She never. She hasn't listed a house at six percent in, in forever. It's lower than that. You know, by the listing agent, pays for all the pictures, all the ads, all the stuff. I mean, it, it's not like you could you could you could go in and get a listing and say, guess what? My time is worth hundred bucks an hour. You pay me for my time, and I'll just bill you. By the way, give me a retainer for the pictures and all the other stuff. I mean, it, there's a lot of expenses there. Now, right. the, the the buyer's agent, and then usually the, the selling agent and the buyer's agent split. So say if you list it for 5%, they get 25 a piece. Now, mm-hmm. the lister, do I think, does more? Yeah, but then again, sometimes it... So now, I don't, I don't see... To me, it's fairly competitive. And a lot of times, if something can't close it or a couple thousand apart, both sides take the hit. To make it mm-hmm. happen, so I think I think I see it way more competitive than the the lawsuit appears to believe to say. You know, maybe there are places in the country where they just don't budge, and by the way, it's six, and you can't do anything. That's not the case here, at least not out where she is. It's pretty competitive. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know how it's going to affect her, to be honest with you, because theirs has been pretty competitive all along. Well, as I read the case, as, as I understand it, they're. What they're saying is that the, the commissions are artificially inflated because there's no negotiation with either of them. And particularly on the buyer's side, the buyer's agent um, just kind of goes along for the ride. And, you know, the buyer's real estate agent does a lot of work to help the, the buyer find the right house in the right market area. But that wasn't really given a lot of credit in the court's view that it was just kind of artificially set by the seller side and the seller negotiates whatever the, the 6%, the 5% or whatever it is and splits the cost. And that was seen as unfair and anti-competitive. I'm going to say that when what well, is a buyer, <clears throat> especially now when there's not a lot of houses on the market, I'm going to say that she um, constantly is looking like every hour to find houses that come on the market. Mm-hmm. She's constantly calling, and if people can't go see it with her, she will go see it herself. Mm-hmm. To see if it's what the because once you take somebody out a couple times, you kind of know what they like. You kind of know what they like. She'll go see it herself, and uh, and if and bring them back. And I'll bet you, at least once or twice a year, there's somebody that she shows forty houses to. We'll go to an open mm-hmm. house and buy her buy it, and not say that she's their agent and she gets nothing. Right. So the idea yep. that some court can somehow figure out... I mean, 
there's all kinds of places where you can, uh, <coughs> excuse me, that you can, in fact, Audrey will do it. If you say, here's, here's 500 bucks, get me on the, the listing, and I'll, maybe I'll call you for the close. She'd be happy to do that. I don't know for 500 bucks. I mean, I'm not pricing it for her, but I'm saying, if you want to, you can list it yourself. But mm-hmm. no, nobody wants people coming to their house without being escorted by a professional. Right. They, they know, it's like, yeah, you, you can sell your car yourself. Nobody mm-hmm. wants somebody coming to their house. I mean, used, to, used to, people used to be trusting. Nobody wants somebody coming to their house, driving their car, you know, what with them not in it to see if it's in Nobody wants that. You'd much rather right. take five grand less at CarMax than not have to mm-hmm. put up with that. So the idea for what the court to say is fair and unfair, you can get whatever you want. You can do it yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't, I, yeah. don't, I don't and, know what the... And, and there, are, there are a lot of sales that are done just owner to seller. Or very, owner, very, owner very, buyer. Few, very few. Very few. Very few, but there, but there are some where it's negotiated without a real estate agent at all. But, but in this day and age, I mean, I don't... I'm really stunned at how much work <coughs> Audrey and Nancy will do for a client, especially if Nancy's doing a mortgage. It is so difficult to get it through the bank. The lawyers help out some. The banks are useless, the, the, the mortgage, mm-hmm. mortgage people. But if you're not dealing with a Nancy, you can. there's all kinds of times where <coughs> something's supposed to close and the bank isn't even, hey, did you, get, did you order title? I'll bet Audrey makes 50 phone calls to get the thing closed every single time one closes, maybe more. Attorneys well, don't I do agree. It. It, it's changed over the last 15, 20 years from what realtors used to do and what the lawyers used to do. Uh, and I've, I've heard so many horror stories about things that weren't prepared at a, at a closing and the closing had to be delayed. Yeah, or, I mean, that I, the numbers, or the numbers didn't work. Somebody somebody missed something when they were putting the, the owner statement together. Uh, Brendan, I know you're not a saloon kind of guy. Never were, but in, the, in a bar in South Bend, not that I ever went there, they used to have a fish fry on Friday night. And in one of the corners, there was a big poster and said, just remember, everybody else in the world except you is overpaid. <laughs> you know, there's a guy that I used to work with who said that um, the difference between the rich and the poor is that the guy who's rich has more money than you. Everybody's middle class. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's... But I mean, this how a court can get in the middle and say the buyer doesn't work as hard as the seller when, they, when, the, when the judge has been neither one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't get it. You know, that, that's like saying, uh, you know, on a, on, a, on a big day on the floor in the old days that the market maker made too much money. Uh, you know, <laughs> okay, fine. Do you, do you ever have your money on the line? Well, no. Then how? how what's, what's too much? Have you ever, yeah. ever gone to working at a losing day? Well, no. Okay, what's too much? I mean, whenever, whenever you start getting into that, how much somebody else should make, you know how that goes. Well, right. It, it's like looking at a tangible result for something that's intangible. Like you were describing the work of the seller's agent versus the buyer's agent. You could look and say that uh, when they're when they're staging the house, the, the time it takes to stage, the, the photographs, you know, putting everything in the listing, those have a dollar value of X dollars per hour of time. But on the buyer side, all the work that they're doing to compare it and to get to know what the buyer wants in order to expedite the sale um, is unnoticed, and you can't really measure it. Well, I mean, it, it's plus I, 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 I'm, I'm convinced, I think first maybe everybody should, everybody should take you know, four months of uh, basic training in the Army when you're young or something. But I, I, I have to believe, Brennan, that everybody somewhere in this country needs to take a six-week course in economics. 
I can't believe oh, I can't believe the the lack of intelligence in the part of these people's part. The way it works right now, economically speaking, let's let's say the the number is five percent. All right, so the, list, the listing agent does his stuff, the buying agent for that particular home. Yes, that particular agent could could. This is the weird part. They'll say you didn't do anything. The whole mm-hmm. point the whole point of hiring somebody is for Audrey to put the listing in there on a Tuesday to show up with one person on a Wednesday and sell the place. You say. Right. Didn't, you didn't work for here. You're paying so you didn't have to do that. Do you really want them to come 50 times before somebody buys right. it? Exactly. <laughs> no, you, you're exactly right. <laughs> so so let, let's say, for instance, you're selling a half-million-dollar house. All right, so the, the, the spread is 5%. All right, so what are we talking? 25 grand, right? Mm-hmm. All right, so right now the seller pays that, correct? So the, right. so, so the net price of the house is, is 475 Mm-hmm. Correct. The money to them, right? All right. So now, if if all of a sudden we say the buyer's agent doesn't do squat, all right. So so, or the or the that buyer twenty five goes to twelve and a half. Yeah. The, well, but then but the, the number is still going to be twenty five. It just mm-hmm. means now that that the buyer is only going to pay four ninety for the house because he's got to pay the guy ten, and then the other person only has to pay the, the selling agent fifteen. They all end up in the same spot. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so, why would a court try and get if if that happens, the numbers are just going to change, right? Yep, the numbers change, but it the 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 effect on the market is how many buyers agents will go through the work knowing that they may or may not get paid because the buyers are in a different negotiating spot to fix the compensation for the buyer's agent. What? Uh, think of it this way: if if you went into a store and bought a TV for a thousand bucks. Well, I don't mm-hmm. know that much anymore. Now, you paid a thousand bucks, and then there's, there's tax on top of it, correct? Mm-hmm. Well, now, so you, if you had to pay the tax yourself, okay, you're, you're gonna you're gonna try and get the TV. In other words, somebody's paying the tax right now. Actually, the retailer pays the tax; they charge you sometimes. Mm-hmm. But if they didn't, okay, then you'd be if there was no tax, or if you paid the tax, you'd, you'd be able to buy the the. the uh, TV for a thousand minus eight percent, right? Right. But but now they get, they add it on do, top. Do which a is, cash deal when the TV yeah. falls off the back of a truck. Yeah. So I mean, the, the idea that all you're going to do is move the number around. The but mm-hmm. so the buyer is going to have to pay the real estate person. So he's going to he's going to offer ten grand less for the house that the, the, the seller right. used to pay. So what mm-hmm. have, what have they accomplished with 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 other than paying a bunch of lawyers? <laughs> now you might say that's a good thing. <clears throat> well, I'm not in the real estate business as a real estate lawyer, so no, it's a horrible thing. If it was, if I was able to get money out of it, sure, it'd be a great thing. <laughs> God. But but I'm, but I'm saying it, it, it's just what what are we doing in here? You know, why yeah, would I, I I agree? I mean, for a long time the number was six, and no matter what happened, but you could always list it yourself. We sold our our bungalow in 102nd place. My mom sold it herself. But she she didn't mind in those days. You didn't mind people tromping through, right? But now nobody wants that. No, there, there's safety involved, and and but and, and I mean, there's so many other things involved right now that you want to have a prof- I want a professional involved to to help walk that process and for protection. Right. I mean, uh, if if you have one of these buildings downtown where there's one or two people in the building that always like get all the listings, and there, and there's like a waiting list to get in. Does six percent seem a little high? Yeah, you know, but mm-hmm. but like I said, you can do it yourself. 
but mm-hmm. you, you've got to be there when somebody shows up. You got to, you know, that kind of thing. You've got to, you got to buy the lockbox. You got to buy the signs. I mean, it's it's a it's a full day for pounding sales in the ground there for somebody to do an open. How much it, it costs for somebody to do an open house? By the time you buy, oh, the, buy the donuts and the coffee and all mm-hmm. the other stuff, and you know, but the worst thing is taking somebody. Audrey's had people that she has driven around for like two and three years before they bought a place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And every time they see a place that's exactly what they like, Audrey goes, "Here's what we went to ten places. Everything you said you needed, this place has." Oh man, I don't like it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that's just the way people are, you know. It's a uh, yeah. And sometimes the couples have broken up after she mm-hmm. shows them around for a year. I, I have I have to believe she'd be much happier. Just saying, every time I pick you up in my car and meet you there, I'm a hundred dollars an hour. She'd be much happier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In advance, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I mean, whatever. So I don't, I don't know, I don't know how people. Yeah, when it was controlled by Coldwell Banker and three or four other firms, and you couldn't. They controlled all their people. Nobody could do anything. I don't. Maybe other places are still like that, but it's not like that here. I guess that's way long of an answer. But what? Uh, hey, why don't we uh, go to break? We must not have Joel. Would you? You mind hanging for another ten minutes? Why well, is that? Oh, Joel's in. Okay. Well then, we'll, then we'll, we'll just go right to Joel because we blew right by uh, his time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't. Man, I just didn't know what to add to your to your your, your housing conversation there. Um, I would have switched gears because I have questions for you. Like what? The Bears? Oh, God. Uh, yes. Yes. Who's going to coach Michigan this weekend? Yeah. Uh, Joel. 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 Yeah, Sharon Moore. Um, I, I know the plays they should run to win the game, and uh, I haven't got any calls yet. Uh, it's the game of games. Uh, my Well, first of all, I like the Bears. I lived in Chicago for a while. I mean, you just – that late in the game – I mean, you just got – he got so conservative. They had – Ball control. They kicked five field goals. So, uh, Lions got lucky on that. Uh, going back to the Michigan game, uh, my wife, who's been been married over, 30, you know, close to 30 years, known her 35 years, she said, this is the biggest Michigan game ever. And it really is. And I'll tell you, it's going to be one hell of a game. Uh, Ohio State has two studs in Trayvon Henderson and Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, their defense is much better, uh, but they got a freshman quarterback coming into the big house. So um, I'm worried about McCarthy. I, he got dinged in the Penn State game. He only ran once in the uh, in the Maryland game. So man, you could you could tell just back and forth. I just I haven't been able to sleep. I'm not going to sleep until after the game's over. But um, Michigan. They, they got their hands full with Ohio. State. Joel, do you think they're both good enough? If uh, if the game's close, they both get in the final four, or no? This is what's going to happen with that chief. If if Michigan loses, no. If Ohio State loses, close it is close. Yes, I'm one hundred percent convinced of that. Why? Just because it's an away game. Well, because it's Michigan, and it, the, you know the whole, the whole, you know, the only reason we're good is because we stole signs, which was like two years ago. So, you know, I, I it, there's the NCAA has it out for Michigan and Harbaugh. Uh, a couple of the primary reason is is that Harbaugh is a big proponent of the student athlete, and athletes getting more of the lion's share. These colleges have been making money off these kids. Of course, they're giving them uh, education and stuff. But the NCAA is 
absolutely out to get Harbaugh, and he's given him plenty of fodder. So let let me let you know he's not all innocent. But yeah, they they do not want Michigan in that playoff. Well, I think the other uh, the other part of this is what happens with Florida State now that they lost their big quarterback. Uh, for the rest of the year, even if they win out without their quarterback, will they make the final four for the playoffs? And that would give, in, in your scenario, Joel, that would give Michigan another spot instead of uh, dropping out of the the four. What about Washington? If Washington remains undefeated, you know? Yeah. Has, has there ever been a, uh, this, this hasn't been around too long, but has there ever been a time either with a huge bowl game back in the day or, or now that somebody's big star gets hurt, like in the last game against some schlump, that they don't get the spot. I, I've never, I've never seen that of you. I mean, it may, it I, may have happened. I just don't recall it. No, I, I, I don't. It's a very uh, unusual and unfortunate situation for Florida State. You know, um, and I haven't read the status guy's injury, but no, I, you know what? It's like this. That I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, there's just no tradition, and I mean, you know, the money, the TV money. These bowl games are absolutely meaningless. The only reason they have a lot of these bowl games is for the is for the gambling. And it's it's just all about money. And, you know, I understand it. You know, the networks want to make money. You know, the universities want to make money. It's just such a, a behemoth of, a, of an industry. And it's just, you know, eight, Michigan playing an 8 o'clock game against Bowling Green at night. I mean, you know, on the Peacock Network. I mean, come on. Give me a break. What uh, Real quick, because I know you have to dash. What What is the story on the basketball guy? Is it as simple as... Michigan was paying him eighty know. grand, and uh, the other guys are paying him two eighty. That's what I, that's what the the tweeter or the Xer birds are telling me. Uh, Can it be that simple? Well, well, now, which one? Which scandal are you referring? I'm talking about to? This, the 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 center who was now playing for Kansas, the basketball. Center. Oh, Hunter Dickinson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's all about nil money. It's all about the money, and uh, you know, Michigan had not developed the program. I heard from several sources. That he was he was he was not good in the locker room. That he was not a team player, and that you know they of course you don't want to lose a guy of that caliber. Uh, but yeah, it was all about the money. And then you know I, we we looked good against St. John's, and then we lost to Long Beach State. Long Beach State. We lost to the long, I think they're the Long Beach State Forty ers And I had to I had to suffer through that game. So. I thought we were going to be okay with the transfers, the way we whooped St. John's, and then we lost to Long Beach State. So uh, my original stance on the basketball team was I didn't think they were going to make the tournament. They beat St. John's. I got a little optimistic, and then they lose to Long Beach State. So I, I don't I don't think uh, unless they really turn things around. And we don't have our coach either. What major sports program in the country does not have either their football coach or their basketball coach in attendance? Uh, Juwan had some heart surgery, and they said he was going to be back in six weeks, and there's no word. So I hope he's all right. Uh, yeah, I do, too. I do, too. But anyways. Hey, by the way, uh, Joel, Kevin, Kevin wants to know, if Joel is on today, ask him if he's Uncle T. <laughs> No, I want to get caught. <laughs> Take care of yourself, buddy. Go blue, man. This is it. This is the game, guys. I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Hey, what, what, what time is the game? Just curious. Noon, baby. Noon. Right, I'll have to watch. Brendan, thank you very much. S&P Futures down 6. Nancy Futures down 32. Real quick break. Then Kenny Polkari. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? 
Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Jocks. Stocks, and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right I just wanted to make the quick and easy buck. Anybody tells you money's the root of all evil, doesn't f***ing have. Yeah. Roller coaster, ups and downs, you know that. They say money can't buy happiness, look at the f***ing smile on my face. I'm gonna be blunt, you know? I mean, we're talking about millions of dollars. Mm, yeah. Money. Got a hunch? Got a bunch, they say, right? Is that your motto, Greg? Got a hook? Better watch. There you go. Got a hunch, better bunch. Is that your new motto? I get sure. That's a futures up seven. Nasdaq futures up. I'm sorry, down seven. So I was used to saying it's up. Nasdaq futures down 35. Uh, we got a little longer on the close last night, so maybe we <coughs> we had to make our sacrifice a little bit. Very very little though. Very little. I'm uh, pretty much convinced that these Nvidia numbers after the guy talks about. We do have Kenny. How are you, buddy? I'm here, sweetheart. How are you? I'm sorry I'm late. I apologize. No problem. We had uh, two guys ran, so we, uh, we, we, we've been full up. So, but now we want so you. So you didn't miss me. <laughs> we, we did miss you. We always miss you. I, I'd like to have you for an hour. You know that. But, uh, yeah, I hear you. What uh, uh, Greg and I were just going to do, um, not necessarily our, our, our stack of the day, um, but uh, Greg, why don't you tell me what, what you found out on the bar chart? Let me just see if Kenny has any reaction to it, because his reaction is more important than mine. Right, so we were looking at Bar Chart's Twitter feed, and they had mentioned that the the commodities versus the equity prices is actually as bad as it's been uh, since any number of crises. So they tweeted out a chart, and we were going to go over the commodity-to-equity ratio. Okay. And what's it tell you, or what's it? Because I don't look at that. So tell me what it tell. Tell me what you think it tells you. Well, that's yeah. what we don't know. That's it's, what we're asking you. It's saying, <laughs> it's saying that we're at the same levels as the Nifty Fifty stock bubble. Well, basically, it's talking about the commodities of the world versus the stock market, and saying the commodities now are at the lowest level versus stocks since since the days of the Nifty Fifty. Well, you mean in terms of ownership? Or no, in terms, terms of, of price. In terms of price, well, that might be true. Remember, go, uh, the dollar was trading at you know it's just off its high, 107. So a higher dollar forces prices on commodities lower, right? So commodities come under pressure. Now that the dollar is starting to retreat, we've broken all the three trend lines. We're now below the long-term trend line. We're probably going to find support somewhere in the 102.60, 103.60 trading range. That's going to actually it should help commodities. And you've seen some of that in gold. Gold has gone from 1936 late last week to over 2000 probably trading like 2010 right now part of that is on the weaker dollar right which, which, which gold which which gold are you looking at i can't the one i'm looking at, i can't get through 2000 1990 
Oh, well, this one. I was going to. What do you mean? I'm on my Bloomberg. I'm looking at GCA, the the, the gold commodity, straight in 2008. Which well, I'm looking at. Oh, the December is 1990. What are you out further? You must be. Oh, I must be out further. Okay, yeah, so it's around 2000. Yeah. Bloomberg. Um, but it certainly helped. I mean, even last week it was trading down to 1936, so it has certainly rallied, whether it's in 2000 or 2008, one way or the other. It has certainly rallied. The dollar has come off uh, its high. Certainly it's been in a downtrend ever since they've been talking about, uh, the, A, the soft landing and the Fed's peaked and there's no more rate hikes and, you know, potentially there's going to be rate cuts, which I think is ridiculous because I don't think there's any cuts coming, at least not in the foreseeable future, um, unless, of course, the economy goes right off the edge. Uh, which I don't see that happening either. I just kind of, you know, while I, while I, while I was very cautious on the Fed, I think that the landing is not going to be soft, soft. But I don't think it's going to be that crash landing that you know I thought it was going to be a couple of months ago. So I'm in the camp that you know, while while it may be a little bit bumpy, it's not going to be a disaster. So I don't expect the economy's the economy's going to go off off the edge. Well, are you? Uh, is there a chance here? Because we have one more good question for you here. Uh, is there a chance? That you could be, um, how can I be to say this nicely? Getting old like me, <laughs> where, where you actually think the Fed gets gives a rat's ass about the rest of the economy and not just the market. I mean, you could be cynical oh, and say, "So you mean gives a rat's ass about about the about what about us about the market about the about us about, what? about you and me?" I mean, I'm saying if, if all of a sudden the market goes into a hissy fit, they will cut interest rates. They will not let that happen because the, the people who own assets own them. In my opinion, unfortunately. Wait, talk into your mic because suddenly you went very quiet. Uh, I'm saying I, I, I think that they are very concerned about asset price levels. Yes. And that if those are start to deteriorate at all, they will cut the rates. And if they have to absorb another round of inflation, screwing you and me, they will do well, it to save the people who have the assets. Well, uh, you know, that, that's an interesting thought because you know, cutting rates or even lower yield is actually stimulative to the economy. So they are concerned, I think, that lower yields and cutting rates is going to reignite that inflation monster. I'd like to think that they're not going to do that. I'd like to think that they're going to hold steady. I, you know, Jay Powell said that, you know, that, 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 that they're going to hold rates here longer. You've had a couple of recent Fed heads coming out saying we don't think we're done yet. So that leans a little bit more hawkish to me than it does dovish. Um, but to your point, I suppose, it, you know, if it looks like we're going to go in for this harder landing, could they cut rates, to, you know, and save it to like, to your point, to the people that have all the money? They could. Um, I just I'm just not in that camp right now. I just don't see it. But do I think that they really care about you and me? Honestly, I don't think they really care about you and me. No, I don't either. And I, and I this, this, this widening wedge between the economy and the market is got me very afraid what's going over of the future here to be honest with you i mean they're driving so many stock prices to to, to prices i can't even i can't even fathom I mean, i'm i'm not even looking at the, the microsoft being going to be three trillion here pretty soon or or these i mean it's these are numbers that you can't even uh, how, they, how are they ever going to grow into these numbers well and i think that well i think that's going to that's going to be that's going to be the question right if the market decide that the numbers are so out of line and there's no there's no forward guidance that shows it. And, you know, today's going to be a perfect example. NVIDIA is trading at crazy numbers, and they're supposed to continue to keep growing. And depending on how what Jensen Huang says tonight uh, is going to dictate that, right? So you may actually see some of that. Um, the market may not believe what he says, that he's going to be able to grow it at the rate that the market is pricing him at. So I think the risk there is, is to the downside. While I love NVIDIA, and I own it, and I would buy more of it on weakness, I, at some point, it's just trading at ridiculous prices, and unless he can show 
that they can maintain the ridiculous price prices that it's trading at um that's when it'll start to can that's you, when it'll start to and then you'll see that kind of move into the all the magnificent seven because when you think about it the s&p equal weighted index is only up three percent on the year yeah. so it's a handful of names that are really out you know that they're, that are really out of whack well i've got the money supply up from from may so they're not exactly taking a whip to inflation like they say they are right but i mean are you the, hot, the rumor it's about, and I God, I hope it's not true, which I, I'm spreading it, but I'm hoping it's not true, is that Nvidia is is part and parcel of some group that is essentially buying their backlog. Have you heard that rumor? No, I have not heard that rumor. I'm gonna I'll get the stuff and send it to you before I say any more. Any because it's it's they're convinced that some guy who was involved in the the mortgage fiasco is 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 doing the thing here where they they're getting loans from. Essentially, Nvidia and other places to to buy the backlog. I can't. I'll I'll, I'll send it to you. And before, forget I said that yeah. everybody before. But I mean, it's, it, I'm sitting there reading this. I'm going, how this can't possibly be true. <laughs> but, but yeah, but, I did not. I, I have not heard that. I have not seen that. But yeah, send it to me because I'd like to take a look at it anyway. Um, the, the second big big question for you today is not not just the bar chart part, but this is is the and the commodity is uh, one of my guys sent me this thing that. Uh, S&P concentration of the top 10 stocks uh, is now a 50-year high. And the last time it was there, all we do is go straight down. Um, yeah, well, listen, but we've known that, right? The Magnificent Seven are really, they have to be the ones that are that are, that are, uh, that are putting it out of whack. And so to your point, uh, and to my point, I think that that's, I think it's very realistic to think if they start to stumble at all, or you know, even though AI is the future and it's coming, it's going to change the world. I get it. It is certainly could be very well ahead of itself uh, in terms of pricing, in terms of what the market is pricing in. So, could we see a, a you know a, a pullback? I'd love to see a pullback, only because I'd like to buy more at lower prices. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I just, I, you just wonder what what these. I mean, the last time this happened was uh, 1975. Yeah. Okay. I was only in I was only in fifth grade in 1975. So you're asking? No, 1975. That's not true. I was in tenth grade. But the but the and it came flying way down, way down, all the way through the 80s and 90s, and then yep. there's this massive spike. And guess when? 2000. Yeah. And then down, yep. down, and down. And then we know what happened in 2000. Yeah. Now it's but just then the Nasdaq lost 60 percent of its value over a year and a half. Yeah. Well, you know, I I think I'm thinking. Uh, boy, I, sh- I should. You know what? You're a chart guy, Greg. Why don't you check this? Out? I think the Qs in 2000 were 120, and I think they got to what down to 25 or something. That would be 80 percent. Yeah, That's the Qs, right. QQQs. Yeah, they just come out because yep. we we were just managing. Yeah, wait, hold on. Let me just go back. I'm looking at my Bloomberg. What year? 2000? You want me to go back? Yeah, but I, I think they got to a high of like 120 because I remember Cisco was over 60 and it got down to like 650, didn't it? They were one of the biggest stocks. Same thing happened to. Uh, was it Cisco? It was uh, who are the guys? Uh, oh, oh, something, something. Uh, I'm trying to think of the stocks that were there. It was Intel? It was Microsoft? Most of them have not even made it back to those prices. Okay, so here's the deal. So the Qs on March 31st of 2000, they traded as high as 120.50. That was the high in the day. Okay. And by what's this date? By October 11th of 02, they were trading at. The high of the day was nineteen dollars and ninety four cents. Yeah, that was uh, right. that was something. Lost a hundred dollars. Lost a hundred dollars in value over that period of time. Because um, you were talking about, I mean, Cisco was sixty some bucks, and it, and it traded six fifty, I think. 
Yeah. But look, that makes sense because yeah. th- that was during the, the, the tech bust and boom, right? The NASDAQ lost 60% of its value or 70% whatever that whatever that shows the cues, right? Because that really reflects what the NASDAQ did. Yeah, it was a disaster. And now uh, we're back at, uh, hold on, where are we back to right now? We are back to, you know, crazy numbers, right? We're, we're making, we just put it, yesterday we made a two-year high, I think they said, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Hold on. Well, I, I would love to see everybody just grow into these numbers and let's just steady out for a while. That would be terrific for my clients, yeah. for me, for everybody. But I, yeah. you know, I don't. I see the, the you know the Fed kind of behind this thing, and I look at these these bond numbers. Kenny, I, I went so I shouldn't have done this the other day, but I looked at a. I want your reaction to? I actually went to a bond calculator, and yeah. if you'd have bought for for Kenny Polcari Senior, if you'd have bought him a million dollars of thirty year bonds. Three years ago, at one and a half percent, I'm going to say on these PTI sheets today, they're marked at four seventy. Yeah. Ouch. Uh, yeah. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. Unless you've got the wherewithal just to hold them and collect the dividends on, like the like coupons lo- on them. It's another right. long twenty-seven years, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Get, you. You're getting now fifteen look. grand a year for your million bucks. That's a long twenty-seven years. <laughs> <laughs> now listen. The, the triple Q's traded at 408.71 back in November of 21. So we're just, you know, what are we, 18 points away from from now kissing that that high. But it was, it was, it was I'm going to say it was more, it was more even then. Yeah, I, no, I would agree yeah. with you. I think it was definitely more even then. Today, it's it's definitely lopsided. You know, you could say, and I think yesterday I was on the big money show with the, uh, with uh, on Fox Business with Jackie D'Angelo and Brian Brenberg, and she was telling, she was saying that the that the uh, actually the S and P, not the Nasdaq, the S and P was you know the, the seven names now represent nearly thirty percent of the of the total S and P value. And if you had you had a couple more, if you had you know right, then you're close to fifty percent. Yeah, yeah, right. So so if you're an individual stock picker, you have to make sure you got at least some of those names in your portfolio. By the way, I, had a, I forgot to mention to you last week. I, I watched your interview with Maria. And yep. uh, I'm glad to see the gestures are still there. Oh, the gestures are still there. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if you tie my hands, I become deaf, dumb, and mute. Right? I, mean, I just can't talk. We had this guy, uh, Teddy. What the hell is his last name? Very, very Italian dude from uh, from Bridgeport. You know, from the hood. And he was the the broker's clerk next to me because OEX had all these people. Teddy was yeah. such a good guy, and I, or, and he's on the phone yelling at this guy, and he's gesturing. I keep saying, yeah. Teddy, he can't see you. He's on the phone. <laughs> he goes, doesn't matter. I just do it that naturally. Uh, well, that's the truth. It's, uh, I, that's true. Even I'm talking to you right now. My hands are moving. You can't see me. But my hands are moving because it's just what I do. You know what? I I think it's plus. I'm, I'm glad to see uh, Maria. I met her once. I I liked She's her. Great. And yeah, uh, no, Maria's great. she hasn't aged a day. She's doing good. She yeah, she's great. doing great. I mean, yeah. uh, I'm glad. Well, you know, she she like it over at Fox. She loves it. She's been there for what has she been time. there now for ten years, twelve years? Where's yeah, uh, she's been there for a long time? She's got a great she's got a great position there because she goes between both the Fox News and the Fox business and she's got, you know, those couple of shows. Her weekend show is great, her Sunday future show is great, her daily show is great. So, you know. You know, honestly I saw last night one of my favorites I it was I don't know what's happened, it was right before a basketball game I was trying to watch. Was Erin Burnett. Um she's on what's she on? On CNN. I thought she was terrific too. Yeah, Erin Burnett is now on CNN, but she, you know, she went from being on CNBC when it was just really just business to much more of a, a broad journalist, right, reporting on all all aspects. Actually, I think she does very little business now. She, most of it is political stuff and global, you know, 
global stuff on CNN. I, uh, if I, yeah, she's great. I always liked Aaron Burnett when she was on the floor. I thought she was great. I, uh, I just have this weird thing that this CNBC, who I used to you know really like when you and Jan and people were on there, to me it's, it's, it's an infomercial for big companies right now. I, mean, it, yeah. I, I don't see them... I don't see them... I mean, if this guy's going to come on tonight from NVIDIA, the first thing he's going to do is come on CNBC... And yep. they're going to do the softball questions, and the guy's—he's right. going, going to be a two-bit Carney Huckster. I mean, that's that's what these chairmen now are get paid to do is the, is the market their their stock. It seems like. Yep, agreed. And then nobody nobody will give them. Hey, you 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 lost half your backlog. Oh, that's that's no problem. <laughs> nobody will ask him that question. It's like it's like Steve Leisman going in front of uh, Paul. He's never going to ask him a, a question at the. Remember the one? Uh, you remember the guy who used to be on our show once in a while? Uh, tell us his name. He 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 was Wall Street Journal guy, and he went to the uh, uh, the the, the uh, news conference after when Janet Yellen was still there. Yeah, and he asked her the status of the uh, of the investigation where the where the Fed was leaking stuff. Yeah, he 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 popped that question out. She was visibly it was like you just pissed off your grandmother. She was <laughs> she, she called they called the Wall Street Journal afterward and got him uh, Pedro de Costa. They they called the Wall Street Journal and got him fired. Oh, did they really? Yeah, or not moved that he could never do that again, so he quit. I don't know if they actually fired him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he asked the wrong question. I mean, why 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 do we have to put up with that crap? Is is well because you know you can't catch them you can't catch them off guard. So you got to pre-approve your questions. They got to have prepared answers. Nothing is it's all very orchestrated, right? Yeah, but why 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 does anybody believe that crap? Well, I, I don't think I think a lot of people take it with a grain of salt. I certainly know I do. You know, well, you do. But you, but I think a lot of people don't. <laughs> a lot of people. Well, don't. agreed. Okay, agreed. But you know, you and I are in this business, so you know, you know. By the way, are I you on a? How it's orchestrated. I know we're carrying you over here, but are you on? We got to get to hell. But are you on our our, our, our list of? Uh, you're at you, when we send out a Saxon Jacks thing. You get it right. Or, yeah. or what, did you happen to read the one yesterday about the? Uh, uh, the, the CPI change in, in in medical cost calculations. Yeah, well, they told us that medical costs went down, didn't they? Wasn't that the latest CPI report that they went down thirty percent or some ridiculous thing like that? They 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 uh, medical insurance costs went down thirty four percent, and they actually put out a piece of paper about how they calculate it differently. You know, yeah. you know, you know. How, instead of just saying how much is Kenny Polcari paying for his insurance, something. Something simple like a couple of simpletons like you and I might do. Yeah, they actually are backing into the actual insurance cost by right. the amount of retained earnings that the insurance companies increase during the year. And if they if they make a big profit, they think that the cost went up, and if they didn't, the cost went down. So, who the hell we're paying people to think this stuff up, Kenny? What? That's ridiculous. Because all I know, I don't know about you, but my my health insurance costs do nothing but go up. They have not come down. No, not down at all. But, but obviously, PTI, we can go back in our records twenty five years. There's never been a down year ever. Right, never been a down year. Who are they kidding? Plus, plus, and, people pay more in their in their deductibles. That's right, right. So, so it goes up across the board in your deductible and in the, and in the just the monthly cost. Well, the, the, never mind going to the doctor or going to get prescriptions or whatever. You know, the explanation was that if actual hospital costs are embedded in some of the other lines in the CPI. So the yeah. part that's left on the insurance cost is not anything to do with what you and I pay. It has to do with how much the insurance companies say they make. Right. Kenny, who the hell could even dream up something like that? Uh, yeah. <laughs>
they pay all these Harvard people to dream it up. Well, it's like, my, it's my, my, my late friend Bob Golden, who's a uh, promise I'll let you go for the. He was one of these guys that was doing all these international tax stuff, right? The yeah. double the double Dutch sandwich and all that crap. He he was part of all that invention. Yep. And so yeah. one night we're having a couple beers. I go, Bob, how the hell did you keep a straight face putting this crap by these guys at the IRS? And he goes, Time for seven hundred hours an hour. You learn how to keep a straight face. <laughs> he goes, That's the damn truth. He goes, I have no. He goes, I don't have, I have no idea why these idiots bought this stuff, or somebody must have been paying because it's it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, we, no, it makes no sense. Janet Yellen came out yesterday. Did you see what the comments she made? You know, she's now she's pumping for Biden. She's trying to get on his reelection history tour and how great he's doing. And he needs four more years to see it through. And you know, yes. Prices are higher and people feel it, but that's exactly why Joe Biden needs four more years because his plans have to work. Right. Oh yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. It's See a, ya. It's, 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 it's scary. I mean, is there any, any chance of somebody else other than him or Trump popping up between now and next November? Yes, because I don't. I already told you this. I don't think he's going to be the candidate. I think that uh, I think that he's going to bow out either right before. I think I think it's going to happen at the DNC convention. I think he's going to announce that he can't do it. He's what are healthy issues, and I think that the that the super delegates are then going to install Gavin Newsom. Look, he made that trip to China a couple of weeks ago. He he welcomed Xi Jinping up in San Francisco. He made sure he was all over the place. He wants to show Americans, look at me. I've got all this international experience, and China loves me, and blah blah blah. That bullshit. And I think that's what's going to happen. So I think they're going to take Joey out. They got to figure out what I'm to a, do with Kamala because I, that'll, between, that'll be a problem. Between the two of them, I always pick Joe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, but Nikki Haley apparently seems to be making some headway against Trump. Now, I'm not sure we're there yet, but I think, you know, the field is starting to really be be culled on the Republican side. I think Christie's got to drop out. You saw Todd Scott, uh, Scott drop out. So who's left? Ramaswamy's there. Uh, Nikki Haley's there. Trump is there. And DeSantis is there, right? She's a, I, I really like her, except she's a little bit more, a little bit more of a Dick Cheney than I like. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Um, but we'll see. I mean, listen, we'll there's still time, right? Yeah, there's still a chance for Paul Kerry? <laughs> Only if you write me in. <laughs> some, some states, you got to register to be written in. They got it so yeah, cooked. Shit. Anyway, yeah, no, Kenny, I think I missed that. I think I missed that deadline. Anyway, Kenny, thank you very much. I'm going to be searching your stuff this week for recipes. Uh, all right. I, I gave you a great recipe today. I made it last night. It's all over my Twitter. It's a it's a it's a chicken cacciatore romana style. Really, so delicious. All right, take care, bud. SP, SP Futures down ten. Nasdaq Futures down fifty one. A real quick break. We'll be right back, Mr. Professor Helsner. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program. Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. 
Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Howell, Greg Pappas on the board, fighting with the board, it appears. S&P futures down 10, NASDAQ futures down 55. Do we have the professor? Hey, good morning, Tom. How are you, buddy? Sorry we're a little bit late. Uh, we ran over with kind of everybody today. We had all kinds of interesting stuff we were talking about. Now we're going to ask you, ask you <laughs> the same questions on some of this stuff. Um, hey, by the way, uh, I hear you say axe all the time. Do you know where that comes from? I don't know, but it's the South Side. It's the South Side. Well, it actually, it's actually a remnant of the uh, inner city London uh, 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 culture that uh, that populated the South. Okay. Thomas Sowell, Thomas Sowell speaks about it in his book. Uh, what is he, what, What's the name of the book? I used it in a class one time called uh, uh, Black Rednecks, White Liberals. It was a fascinating book, fascinating history. Well, they, they actually had a uh, back, back, wow, we're talking a long time ago, Hal. There was a all-day news group here in Chicago on Channel 26 when all the trading floors were all real busy. And they would interview guys from the trading floor all the time. So you know, a lot of our people were on. So my buddy, Dr. J, John Nigerian, he'd get on with my brother, Dan, and the show was a- Ask an Expert. So whenever he came on the floor, guys would go, let's axe that expert, Dr. J. <laughs> so, so they tried to rename the show Axe the Expert because they wanted to axe the guys that were on there. They didn't think, <laughs> anyway, that's well, you, know, you, you know, if you really think about that, it's a good title for uh, a show that would uh, question the authorities during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, Axe the Expert. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it has a certain certain now, I'm, not to promoting, it. I'm not promoting violence okay? no I'm not no <laughs> well remember the one where the show where somebody was on there talking if they if they didn't like him they went they got the hook i guess if you, yeah. if you threw the axe at the gong they, show right the gong yeah, show yeah they got the hook well the one they just yeah. hit the Chuck gong Garrett? but one they actually got Chuck? one they actually reached out with the hook and grabbed the guy by the neck what was that it was was that was that or was that I a remember, thing? I remember, but I remember the Gong Show by Chuck uh, Chuck Woolery or Chuck Berry. Okay, yeah, I think the yeah. the hook might have been actually part of Benny Hill. Maybe that, that oh, show. Oh, really? That show was wild. <laughs> <laughs> How that ever got? You know, the, what's his name? The little guy just died not that long ago. Oh wow! Yeah. The, uh, well, I remember watching that late night. We only had three channels in Idaho when I was a kid. We had ABC, CBS, and PBS, or we had four channels: PBS, and we had to rotate the antenna. On, in our trailer on our farm because we lived 80 miles from town. So anytime we change a channel, we'd have to run out in the snow and rotate the antenna like 10 degrees to oh get God. a better picture. And I remember watching that on, uh, my dad would watch that late night around 11 it, o'clock and I was, got into it. This it's hilarious. hilarious. Yeah. I mean, some of the short, Greg, they had one where they, they were talking about the COVID thing. They had one where they were, for some reason they were going to vaccinate everybody, right? So you got these huge yeah. long lines. And all these guys come out, and these you know, older ladies and kids come out rubbing their arm, and every good-looking girl comes out rubbing her butt. Then <laughs> 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 they got some doctor in there giving everybody shots. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> anyway, they they had nudity and everything on that thing. I mean, I don't know how they managed to do it, well, but BBC man. BBC. Yeah, but somehow it got on here. I, it, but somehow it did. But well, late at, late at night, late at night. Well, actually, after nine o'clock, you used to be able to show some stuff. I mean, remember NYPD Blue did in uh, all those places. All those shows used to show yeah. something. Uh, not that, you know, they should, but I'm saying it was after 9 o'clock you could do that stuff. Now, do kids ever go yeah. to bed? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. uh, we try to get them to bed. We try. 
Anyway, Greg has a, a commodity-related uh, topic here that he brought up that I thought was pretty good. Why don't you uh, ask him about that, Greg, and I'll talk about the concentration one. Yeah, Hal, if you check the Zoom link, there's a, there's a graph that shows the difference, or at least the n- two numbers against each other with commodities okay. to equities. And uh, it says we're at a, the lowest point since uh, the Nifty 50 stock bubble as well as the tech bubble. You oh, you're talking about the, ch- the commodities to equity ratio? Yeah. What do you, is other than being something you kind of want to look at, is it, I don't know if it's tradable. I, I would say maybe not, but I don't think it stays that way forever either. Do you know? Yeah, let's see. The bottoms happen. The, the previous bottom was the tech bubble. There wasn't a bubble. There wasn't a, then you had the uh, 2008. Okay. Well, the, the, for those of, I'll describe it a little bit here. If you, the, yeah. the, the peaks of it, we're talking about commodity prices, meaning oil and grains and all that kind of stuff, yeah. versus the stock market. Now, the, the yeah. first one, which I sort of remember, was way back in the 70s when you had the oil embargo, and you had yeah. all the inflation, or the market was down to 800 to the Dow, and oil was, at, you know, whatever, it was $40 a barrel or something incredible back in the day. So there was a huge peak in, like, 74. Then there was another pe- peak in... 1991, when I was trading on the floor with the oil futures in the Iraq War. Okay, yeah. then there's then there's a huge peak in uh in 2008 where we had the uh, oil and what was it global something something was going on there. They're in uh, in uh, in uh, 2000 and say 10, we had something going on there with the, when the market was going down there as well. So, but now we have a point where you're uh, the, nobody even knows what it is now. There's a big question mark on the graph. So we're down to yeah. I mean, it's, it's, well, you know, it's it below kinda, it's ever been. Well, you know, in 2008, October 2008, the Fed got a new tool called interest on reserves. Yeah. And I remember doing pretty good in trying to figure out when the Fed was going to be too, um, when, it, when it felt like it was too inflationary and it pulled back. And then it would um, start, uh, then it do the opposite. So I, I think I got pretty good at that before 2008. And my retirement account, um, I was basing on what the Fed, what I think the Fed was going to do, you know. Um, and I did pretty well during the financial crisis. I had moved everything into uh, 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 commodities. I think I moved everything into like income. And I, basically, right before the, uh, uh, the the bubble burst in the stock market, you would have looked if you would have looked at my portfolio, my retirement portfolio, you would have thought I was an eighty-year-old man. I was really playing it safe. And so I, I did actually pretty well uh, during the financial crisis. I had an, uh, an appreciation of my retirement account. I think I was hovering about 50 for like a couple of years and I started using the Austrian business cycle theory to figure out um, when I should move my money from uh, aggressive uh, position to a uh, very conservative position. And I was doing pretty good with it. I went from like about 50 to 130 um, throughout the pandemic and then Post 2013, I haven't been able to figure out what the Fed's going to do at all because of this new thing called interest on reserves. And I, I know, also noticed that uh, after the after they started doing interest on reserves, things like stock prices and bond prices started going in the same direction. And so I think this has something to do with that. The Fed, we were talking about this last Tuesday. The Fed has kind of in, in emails and, and twit, tweets. Um, or X's, whatever you want to call them now. But I think what the Fed has done, it's kind of messed things up. 
and it, it, it's messed things up with this interest interest on reserves so when it feels inflation is uh getting out of control it just lifts this price floor on uh on reserves uh and that that interest on reserves rate is at the fed's federal funds rate target so that means it's binding and so when too much money is floating out of the system creating inflation it just simply raises that binding price floor to keep reserves unemployed and without interest on reserves i think the inflation would have gotten really out of control it is out of control and i think well i think it would have gotten more out of control it would have been more like what, what do you think it is early weimar republic uh, i'm gonna can i cast a, a a judgment on your trading now in your mind your lack of expertise Oh yeah, no problem. Yeah. Okay. I, I, hey, I'm just I'm playing with my retirement money. Okay, but I, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to lob one <laughs> at you. I'm going to say, I've had, you know, a really long career at this, and, and the, 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 this a few times. Well, no, I don't. I've never been in a situation where I could walk in and say today we're going up or today we're going down. I mean, nobody can do that, I yeah. mean, despite what people no, huh? say. But uh, uh, unless you get the word from the Fed, unless you, unless you're fed into the news, then you can. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to say that you are having trouble. In the last few years, same way I've been struggling. I'm still a little fine, fine for my people. I'm doing, you know, doing all the routine stuff, and everything's working out fine. But I find it if I was to trade, which I don't really do for anybody, like you know, minute by minute, nobody wants me to do that, and I don't want to do it myself. This whole concept, and this is the same thing that I ran into in 1981, really. The concept where bad news is good news, and good news is bad news. It makes it very counterintuitive. For yeah. people that have common sense to trade, yeah. I mean, right now, if we could get a horse bleep labor number, but the number is, that's okay. We don't care if anybody has a stinking job. Matter of fact, we could care less because those aren't our people. It means the Fed can pour money into the system to fix it, and if they do that, it's not going to go to anybody who has a job. It's going to go right into yeah. the market. It's it is contrary information that I've always had a real problem with in trading. Yeah. I mean, bad was it, wasn't it the case uh, at some time when uh, bad economic news resulted in stock prices going up, but then at some point yes. in the last 10 years, that reversed? Because when we it, got bad economic news, the stock market goes up. Well, in the long run, I, I yeah. still believe in the long run, the stock market gets valued by companies and earnings and, and, yeah. and, and interest rates and how that all meshes together, which is really pretty simple when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, but in the short run, I think it's all about short-term money entering or leaving because you know, the, the Fed doesn't... If every single time they wanted to put money in the system, okay, they sent you and I and Greg and all the schmucks in the world a 300-hour check, okay, they would act a lot differently. And if they, they wanted to put money out of the system, they'd send you a bill. That's not what they do. They, what percentage of the money do you think they poured in from the, uh, well, I'll give you an example. The, the money they poured into uh, uh, the COVID stuff, what did what did people get at the end of the day with the three or four checks? It was like 3500 Greg, something like that? And and then, yeah. and then all these people got the PPP stuff and some of the wrong people got it and all that other kind of crap. That was like 25% of the money. The rest of the money goes somewhere. And, and the market went up how many trillion dollars? I mean, they, they, they poured... Uh, how much into the system? And by the way, the market went up almost the same amount. Yeah, I mean, it's, so, and, and housing prices are the rest. All you do, you, you do is you inflate these prices. Now, the person who's a renter, 
he, he got a $3,500 check. He's lucky if he can rent a place for 2500 a month. How do you think? How do you think the regular person feels on the check they got versus the inflation they're dealing with? They're screwed. Yeah. I mean, so I guess my, you know, my question to you: I had the same problems in the '80s when the money supply number would come out every Thursday night, and people were glued to the the machines on the floor. They would come out at three thirty on a Thursday night, I believe. Wasn't that it, Greg? Thursday night. Uh, and, and so the the OEX, which you could exercise every night. That's why there was a there was a limit. You couldn't exercise after was it three fifteen because they didn't want anybody seeing the money supply numbers coming out and then exercising, which is really a trade, after the, the number came out. So you still had to have, you have to you had to have your assignment notice in before was it like three fifteen or three twenty because nobody wanted one after the money supply. But that number would come out and all of a sudden the money supply would be uh, be it would be down. Okay, which is actually bad for the economy, right? Right, normally in a normal economy, yet the market would rally the next day because it means means the Fed next week wouldn't have to take so much money out and actually could put money back in. It was totally the opposite of what you would think. You had to trade every week, and I had, yeah. I had trouble wasn't back that, then. Wasn't that wasn't that during the time when Volcker was um, allowing interest rates to vary in a wide range? No, he was he was he, was, he was fighting abundant money. It was when he was driving rates from. From twelve and a half percent on the long-term bond, and fifteen percent on on a, on a CD, uh, you know, Grandma Grandma Snar could have in nineteen seventy-nine or eighty could have walked down to the local bank and probably got a six-month CD at fifteen and a half percent. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so I'm saying he was trying to drive that down, and what well, he was. It was, but your experience that you just described right there was that mid '80s or was that like. 81, uh, 82, 83. Right, okay. Right when, okay. He, All right. right when he came in. Uh, yeah. Remember well, Carter Carter uh, nominated him. I think he took over like in 79, right? Yeah, Carter. It's kind of an interesting story. Uh, it, what the hell book is it in? Um, it had to do with the Federal Reserve. Carter, you know, his, his wife just died, by the way. Uh, shout out to, 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 to the wife because she was a uh, terrific lady, I think. Uh, yeah. But anyway, oh, I agree with that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he, Jimmy Carter was was an odd odd bird. I mean, to virtually anybody's guess, I think. I, mean, I never knew the man, but he was in office, and he the inflation was high. Now he didn't cause it. I mean, it, it, it is interesting how some of my right winger friends uh, and, and people sometimes I'll just you know I'll, I'll be somewhere minding my own business, listening, and somebody will say something like, "Yeah, this this uh, Biden guy is just as bad as Carter on the inflation." And most of the time, I don't engage. Once in a while, I'll say, "So that was Jimmy Carter that caused the inflation." Oh yeah, everybody knows that. Well, not everybody. This part everybody doesn't know that uh, there was inflation started in '68. I mean, Carter got in there and when uh, you know '78 somewhere, you know, whatever it was. Uh, when, when was he elected? Was he '80 uh, or '78? '76. '76. With, yeah. And they, they said, "Yeah, everybody knows it was he. He created all the inflation." I said, "Well, first of all, it started in '68." Yeah. And, and if you recall, Nixon did the uh, wage and price controls how many years before? And Jerry, yeah, about 72. And, yeah. and, and, and Jerry Ford had the whip inflation now buttons. So you can't really tell me that it was Carter's inflation. Yeah, Nixon and uh, Ford were not free market uh, Republicans in the least bit. Well, the, 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 yeah. the Fed, and again, you, you, you're the most articulate one we have regarding 
The Fed went off in 1968. Yeah. They went off the gold standard. Yeah. So they want to increase the money supply to pay for the debt in the Vietnam pay for the War. war. Yeah. And now, yeah. why, why, why is it with guys like you and Kevin and everybody teaching people economics? Why are we collectively so stupid about this? Don't we realize that the government is inflating the stuff so that the, when they pay you back five or ten years from now on the, on the bond you just bought from them, the money they're paying you back with is so less. In my mind, Hal, you know, now we're in this world now where anybody can define anything wherever they want. Anybody can yeah. define a re- recession anywhere they want, that kind of thing. I'm going to say that what they have done in the last two to three years is essentially a default. When you when you lower the value of your currency so much that when you pay people back, it's worth so much less than when they gave it to you. I'm, I'm going to say that's a default. Yeah. Would you? Would well, you know, I I had an epiphany uh, a few weeks ago. Um, I read an article that Rothbard wrote, and he said in this article that uh, the class struggle is between the producers who pay the taxes and the receivers. And, there, and I was thinking he was going to say that the receivers were welfare recipients, but no, the receivers are the were the kings, the kings and their queens, and their courts. But now, the receivers of the taxes are the defense contractors, the subsidized firms, the politicians, the, the government bureaucrats, the experts that work for the government, and so that's who receives the tax. And in order to maintain power, this is what where I was thinking in order to maintain power to increase their power they got to get more people on the role of the people who receive the tax receipts right the ones that are paid tax receipts so they expand government programs they expanded medicare medicaid uh afdc they turned that into tanf they, they so they want to get more and more people on the roll and this is what happened in argentina and you had widespread poverty for 40 or 50 years. I'm not sure. If 40 or 50, try 100 or so. Yes. Yeah, 100 years, yeah. From Peron on, right? Yeah. So the, 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 the class struggle has always been between the people who pay the taxes and who peop- and the people who uh, receive the money from those taxes. So you got the taxed and you got the taxpayer. You got the taxed and you got the tax receivers. And that's the class struggle. That's really what the class struggle is. It's not oppressed or oppressed. It's not worker capitalist. It's the productive versus the people who receive payments from the government. One of the uh, issues that uh, you and I have when we when we joust is you're still locked in on the the government being quote the government. Yeah. And I think in, in, my, in my view I'm going to say I've expanded my view, talk about an epiphany these companies are part of the government. And the and the manager. Oh, I know. I agree, one hundred percent. Yeah. And, and the manager. As Eric, as Eric, May pointed out, the it used to be, you know, first the government. I mean, if if you went back even into the, God, you know, I, I can't find this again. I can't find anything any, that, I, that I I see on the net. Hell, I used to run it off. My brother used to give me a bunch of crap for killing trees, but there was a uh, uh, a thing about the richest men ever in America, right? And it had. But it wasn't in terms of, you know, even today's dollars or whatever. They went back all the way to the beginning, and they had the people's wealth as a percentage of GDP when they were alive, which was a fascinating. And now, of course, I can't find it. Maybe Greg could because he's really good at this stuff. I can't find it. But I didn't even know. 
out of, I might say out of ten names on the list, I didn't even know who seven of them were. They they were guys that, uh, like the Dutch guy that owned um, part of Manhattan before the British took it from the Dutch. That kind of thing. Yeah. There was some guy that was in the fur trade. You know, he he had like two million dollars, and, and the national budget was like three. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah. you know, I mean, these these guys had incredible amounts of cash versus the people around them. But, but at least they were like owners. Okay, then then it went to a period where you're right. The, the government, in a lot of places around the world, the government takes the money and parcels it out to their buddies. You get this big bureaucrat, bureaucracy like in China and all these other places, Saudi Arabia for sure, and some of that here. And then you had inventors and people like that, your big your, your robber barons and your Carnegies and those guys that had all this stuff and, and because people needed it, and they, they they found a product, whether it was railroads, whether it was steel, whatever it was, they became wealthy. But at least at least they owned the place, you know, yeah. and, and, they, and they had basically skin in the game. Now we've gotten to the point where does anybody at Commonwealth Edison, does anybody at Microsoft, really give a crap about the shareholders? Other than the fact that the stock goes up, they have they have their their uh, you know their what do you call it? their their uh, they buy the stock back and they get their capital gains and their stock options. But the, the, how much discussion at the Microsoft board or any of these places is about increasing dividends to regular people? They, they want no part of it. Yeah. I mean, well, so they, they just retain the earnings. Just right? retain and the earnings. And I, I, they boost their yeah they boost their uh, stock price. Right? Well, if I if I was in charge for a second, I think the most single biggest and best stroke of economic decency I could put on the world is I would raise the the uh, corporate tax rate up to wherever other people are, why they should get a break, I don't know if they're supposed to be a person like that, and yet and let dividends become tax deductible. So there's there's no double taxation. Yeah. And so maybe your your shareholders would demand more of this money, and you wouldn't have people with billions and billions of dollars controlling the world under the excuse that they can't pay it out because of double taxation. You wouldn't have a... What, what percent- what percent of uh, stocks are owned in uh, funds versus owned by I individuals? Think, I think some of the bigger stocks, uh, between the ETFs and the funds, they're well over fifty percent. I think. Yeah. So I mean, Greg, the, the, Greg can uh, find the, that out in a second. Greg, would you mind? Why do you look and see? Uh, we got to break here pretty soon, like real quick. But after break, how about looking and seeing? I think uh, well, Yahoo Finance used to have that on there. Yeah. That if you put, kicked up Microsoft or something, it would say how much is institutionally owned. And I, I think they're all in the 40s and 50s. Mm. Um, but even so, I mean, uh, I mean if, if if you change the tax structure to the way I, I presented it, do you think Warren Buffett would get away of never paying a dividend and, pay, yeah. and paying regular but, taxes on the money? I think they, I think they would be uh, inclined to pay a dividend because, yeah. I mean, if you really think about it in terms of a, a corporate decision, if you pay the dividend, you got to pay taxes twice. Right? That's right. Why, why would you want to do that? So you're you're avoiding the dividend. What did you say, Greg? Seventy-three point two one is institutionally wow. owned of Microsoft. Wow. How much oh, does it say? How much of that's ETF? <clears throat> it's got to be a lot. Um, eight, nine percent is Vanguard. Seven percent is BlackRock, and four percent is State Street. Four percent would be the spiders at State Street. Well, Vanguard is the largest with almost 9%. Wow. And then BlackRock is the next. SP Futures down 9, NASA Futures down 54. Greg, thank you. Be right back. Stocks and Jacks.
Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tim Allen. Greg Pappas on the board. SP futures down 10. NASDAQ futures down 55. Dow futures uh, down. Dow futures down 50. I don't see any stacks going crazy here. Home Depot's down 242 as lows came out. Uh, earnings didn't work out so well for those guys. They're down early to guidance, one or the other. They're down uh, 754. Greg, I think, is rest wrestling the board over there this morning for some reason. Uh, NVIDIA's actually down a buck 98, but it's still over 500, 50211. Um, over in Europe, we've got the. Uh, Dex up two, call that flat. FTSE down 45, that's 0.6%. CAC around down 28, 0.4%, so kind of a mixed bag there. Asia, uh, Nikkei down 33, that's a flat day for them, 33,354. Hang Seng down 44, wow, they're quiet today. 17,733, Shanghai down 39 cents, let's call that one flat. Yesterday, uh, up day again, Dow up 203, S&P up 33, NASDAQ up 159. Today we're waiting for NVIDIA earnings. We might have an inside day, then all hell might break loose after the close. Uh, bonds down one basis point, 4.41. The bond down three basis points, 2.58. Japan down four basis points, 0.7. That's a long way down from the 0.89 those guys got to. Oil down 55 cents, 77.28. Rent down 55 cents, 81.77. Natural gas down a penny, 286. Arbob down two cents, 220. Gold. Up 1720, trade 1997, knocking at the door at 2000. And like Kenny mentioned earlier, I think the next contract out, I'm looking at the December contract, next contract out I think is over 2000. So we're up 20 cents, 2382. Copper unchanged, 381. We've got Bitcoin uh, down 418, 37112. And as Kenny mentioned, this is kind of the story. Uh, the dollar is down a yet again today with the euro at 109.5 and the British pound at 125.4. Greg, what do you got for us? Traffic Weather Sports. Good Bulls, morning. Bulls suck. Good morning, everyone. 738 here in Chicago. 42 degrees right now. Uh, 45 today with, with some rain. Phoenix, 58 degrees. Uh, up to 78 today. Beautiful with lots of sunshine. Kennedy to... Or inbound Kennedy is 38 from Montrose. Uh, 
Edens from Lake Cook is 63 minutes. Ike from Wolf Inn is 28 minutes. Dan Ryan, 95th to the interchange, 26 minutes. And Stevenson from 294 to the Ryan is 35 minutes. Um, NHL, LA beats Arizona 4-1. And the Hawks lose at home. Or no, the Hawks do not lose at home. And in NFL, let's see. Super Bowl revenge. Eagles 21 and Chiefs 17. And not a whole lot of Taylor Swift. So not too much or looking up. Something something's looking up. Um, were they supposed to be getting married? <laughs> Maybe. Other people online think it's just a, a gossip play. No, well, could be. Well, you know. That would that would be interesting. I don't know if I'd I don't know, I can see Hal marrying some some real high person, you know, worldly wide. Every time he walk out he's got the paparazzi after him and stuff. I can see Hal doing that. I really don't like uh, that kind of attention. I like, I like, you know, I read a story about Michael Jordan and uh, how um, taxing the paparazzi were, and I can't even imagine being a, in his shoes, walking into a mall and just being flooded. I, I, I wouldn't. I don't wish that on anybody. I think he enjoys not being uh, recognized anymore. I mean, he's a still recognized guy, but I think he likes living in. in if you're, if you're in, six, in, if you're six seven, you're going to get recognized. Yeah. Yeah, but I think he's like a King Olajuwon. You know, King just kind of he he just disappeared in the woodwork, which I really don't respect. Well, he's always out playing golf at some course. Yeah, there, but oh, Jordan is yeah, yeah. but a King a King man, he he's just he's he's Mister Everybody now. I think. I mean, he, he just he doesn't need to be on TV. He doesn't need to have his face plastered everywhere. I think I really respect King Olajuwon. He's well, my favorite basketball player of all time. Well, I was at uh, Wrigley one night a long time ago and. Uh, what was his name? Cartwright uh, played in. The, he was the first, the center, the first three times the Bulls won. And he comes by, and you know, at the time I was six four, and I, I wouldn't go too many places where somebody was like towering over me. I mean, you know, there aren't a whole lot of people that are six six walking along. You find a few. All of a sudden, this guy comes by, and he is, he's up there. I mean, there's no way he's, he's <laughs> there's no way he's hiding anywhere. I mean, he's, I, I mean, I, I don't think my head came to the bottom of his neck, and. uh and and he's and he he, 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 he was seven one right seven one. Well, he was like at least maybe seven two or three, yeah. but but he had yeah. he had all these little kids with him, one cuter than the next, that he was bringing to the game. And they're all they're all down about his knee. And he's looking down. He's he's, he's kind of hurting them all. They're all like hanging onto his his kneecap. <laughs> he was so well, far. I ran into, but he was you know he was. I ran into Thurl Bailey in Utah several times, and Thurl's a pretty big guy, six foot ten. And I actually refereed his son's uh, AU basketball during the summer, a couple of championship games. And uh, Thurl and I had met at the Economic Summit, uh, hosted by the governor of Utah. We had met, and uh, he was just ragging on me in the first half. And then at halftime, I walk up to him and go, hey, Thurl, it's good to see you again, man. And then he recognized me from the summit. (laughs) And he didn't say anything to me the rest of the half, so it was kind of nice the rest of the game. But I mean, I, I I ran into Will Purdue a couple of times downstairs here in the building. He once oh, wow. comes down to the bar, yeah. and uh, and he's a very likable guy. He's he's probably yeah six ten, six eleven. But he's nowhere near as big as Is he right. Irish? Is he Irish? Uh, boy, I, I wouldn't know that. What do you think, Greg? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but Purdue. It, uh, but he uh, he's nowhere near as tall as Cartwright was. I mean, uh, yeah. But the uh, hey, um, we we talked about the commodity thing as as as, as you know as a thing. Uh, that, that came from uh, Bar Chart. 
Uh, there's another one yeah. here from uh, one of my guys. Uh, has to do with uh, S and P 500 versus the top 10 stocks. And for the for the first time in how many years, Greg? We're we're uh, our percentage of the top 10 stocks are up to 34.6 of the SPX. The the, wow. the previous record before that was was in uh, the mid 70s when. Uh, who was it? Was it was it Goldman or Morris? Somebody came out with the who was who was the Nifty Fifty? That was one of those guys. Uh, stocks that were going to you know those fifty stocks will take you through your you know your whole rest of your life, and half of them aren't even around anymore. It was like stocks like Polaroid and Kodak and stuff like that. But uh, that was a real peak. And then you look at these graphs, and this stuff just reinforces the the next peak was in two thousand, and how it just shot up to where it was like thirty four percent of the ten, top 10 stocks. Back then you had, was Oracle and Cisco and Microsoft, Intel, right? Uh, was Dell, and there was a couple others in there. Uh, anyway, there, there were seven. I, I could name them if I thought about it. And all those fell apart and took the market with it. Now we're kind of right up to the same spot. But the only one here that, I, that it seems like it's lagging a hair is the uh, uh, margin interest. And I don't see uh, the, the margin debt. If you look here in a uh, 2000, the margin debt re- reached a huge peak, and of course we fell apart then. It reached a huge peak in, in uh, 2008, way above uh, the Wilshire 500 market cap. The margin debt was higher than the market cap, right? Um, so then we we reached kind of a big number during, during uh, 2022, but now it has come back down, but now it's now it's firing up this last few months. But norm- I would say normally, you can usually... Uh, Whenever there's a margin te- debt like total top off, that's usually a sign that maybe the market is high because people are borrowing money to. I don't. S- I mean, right now the number is incredibly high. It's like six hundred and some billion dollars, but uh, six hundred and eighty point eight to be exact. But it's not. It was a little higher a couple of years ago. So if you were to say I only I only sell the market when margin debt reaches ridiculous levels, maybe not there yet today so out of the three things we're talking about that that are you know they're just they're just arrows in the quiver they're not tradable events they're not something oh man i see the margin debt's high i better go sell the second or buy the second i mean we all know you can't do that but as indicators you know they sort of match up but the margin doesn't really match up but how much uh i mean how much is that is uh is the margin debt I- issue the same as there is as it always has been hell or is that sort of change i mean it's weird. At PTI, the reason why I don't have a big, a real number on this, unless I look, is we don't really have any clients. I mean, obviously, the, the Schwabs and the, all those other, the online people, they have the people that say, buy me a 1,000 shares of IBM, and oh, by the way, uh, when IBM's trading, or the hell do I have it here? 154, okay, so you can borrow, what, 77. Right, thousand. So we bought a thousand shares. I mean, I mean, we do. We could do this. We just don't have these kind of clients, where somebody will call and say, you know, or, or online, just buy buy a thousand shares of IBM and send you half of it. So we don't, as, as a as a brokerage firm. That's why the, a lot of the uh, clearing firms want us. We actually have debit balances, which nobody ever does. So they want us because we have extra money. <laughs> Other people, all they do. But I mean, we don't really have that business now. So I don't really keep track of it. In other words, my brother's and I say, God, we had 40 people call today and they bought, you know, $8 million worth of stock and by the way, they, they sent us the bare minimum. I mean, I would never really see that. Uh, 
unless I look at these numbers. But do you think margin debt is still an, an indicator or not? Well, if you look at, uh, I'm looking at margin debt according to Matasui, M-A-T-A-S-I-I. I'm looking at it through... Dot uh, uh, com. I'm looking at it from some other guy. Yeah. Um, I'm looking, uh, and he has... I'm he looking has at Yard, Yardeni debt. Research, Edward Yardeni. Yardeni, okay. I'm not sure... Uh, I mean, this is the first one that came up on my Yahoo search. Well, they, they should the numbers they get from the Fed, so they should be the same yeah. numbers. Yeah, but according to this uh, analysis, uh, margin debt today makes margin debt in uh, the financial crisis look tiny. What I'm looking at. Oh yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a it's it was a, in 2008. I've got it yeah. at 420 billion, and now it's it's 50 percent higher. Yeah. So yeah, no, those so, depending I mean, on which which one you look. I'm sitting there saying me, it's a little lower than it was a few months ago. You're saying yeah, but it's like it's like 50 percent higher than the last time we had a problem. So yeah, well, it depends on how you look at yeah, it, right? I mean, it, it's just to me it looks massive, and to me it's probably from all that money the Fed and the federal government uh, pumped into the system during COVID. I mean, that money's got to go somewhere, right? Yep. It can't all be bottled up uh, as uh, unemployed reserves in the banking system, right? So it's got to go somewhere. And who gets the money first? Probably institutional investors get that money first. And so that's probably where, that probably explains it. And I've been saying that the Fed is getting ready to reinflate because you got housing prices there's that, that look like they were going down. You look at that Case-Shiller housing index and it looked like it was gonna collapse, but all of a sudden, a few months ago, it starts trekking back upward. And so I think we're getting ready for another inflation. I think we are too. A, a recession. I'm looking at the last, 25 days in the market and it's up like 10 percent this just just isn't e- it just isn't guys like greg and i going out and having a beer saying man this morning's market looks good let's buy tomorrow when, when you get yeah. that kind of movement of course now we do have the type of stuff where if it's going up we have more momentum trading than i've ever seen in my lifetime yeah. uh, let's buy a stock i think, Why? I, think it's going- I think they're reinflating and uh investors are filling it and you know, you don't fight the Fed. If the Fed's going to reinflate, buy stocks, go along, right? Yeah, I just, uh, I just have a, I'm starting, I'm starting to look around, you know, how which I shouldn't do. I mean, I'd be better off if I just watch the basketball games and drank beers, but that's not me. <laughs> uh, I look around and I, and I see people who think they are somewhat secure. You know, I, I know that I'm not. I mean, I know that just about everybody around me is not. I mean, because they don't. The stuff I'm seeing, I mean, I just, I, you know, I try and put two and two together, which I really shouldn't, because sometimes you don't like the, what it comes out to. I look at somebody, if, if I were to look at, at, at Greg Pappas, and I'd say, where's Greg? He's a, he's a pretty shrewd kind of guy. And if I found out, say, he's got 250 grand sitting in a PTI account, he's got, you know, he works, he does stuff, he's, you know, he doesn't spend everything, doesn't have a bunch of yatches or anything. Uh, I'm going to say that. Greg probably doesn't even know, nor should he think about it, that if his jalopy conked out and he bought a new pickup, and oh, by the way, he needed a new roof on his house, and unfortunately spent four nights in Northwestern Hospital and had to pay for it himself, he's broke. Yeah. I mean, you think you think you have some wealth, but you don't. I mean, if any of this stuff happened, God help you if you get an emergency room bill or something. Yeah, when you, when you watch the financial shows... You, you hear these guys say, "Well, my uh, wealth just increased by you know five percent today," and I'm like thinking, "No, it didn't." 
because it's not going to increase unless you sell to take the profit. So I hear that all the time, and I'm like, dude, it could it could collapse like that tomorrow. Right. So, we're, we're talking about an asset, but 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 if you if you have your money in the bank, that collapsed over the last four years. Yeah. Which, yeah. Which is oh what, yeah. But I mean, I don't. I, I don't. I mean, unless to me, it's all it's all paper, right? Because well, no, it's it's real. If you can sell it, it's yeah. real. Yeah, if you can sell it, right? And if you sell it at the right time, and those are all big ifs, right? So what's well, like? I think it's like if you're really careful. Well, hell, if you're playing if you're playing blackjack, how many times have you heard somebody, you know, nobody's nobody's dumb, right? But make a yeah. make a dumb as a rock statement. Say the person's up five hundred bucks or three hundred bucks or fifty bucks. And they play and say, and you say, well, let's go. Oh, come on, I, I got to. I'm playing with the house's money. You, you say, wait a minute, if you could pick it up and walk out without security coming after you, it's not the house's money; it's yours. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. But I mean, that's kind of how I play blackjack. I've only played twice in my life, and and the way I play blackjack is when I uh, get a, a black chip, I put it in my pocket, and I play whatever's on the table. And then when I get another black chip, I put it in my pocket. For those who don't know, the black, the black chip's $100. Yeah, so I, anytime I get a black chip, I put it in my pocket, and then I only play with what's on the table. And then if I lose what's on the table, I walk away. Yeah, the trick is to trade the, the red ones in for the black ones, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what? The red ones are bad. The black ones are great. Wait, the, the green I've ones? Actually seen people, I've actually seen people in Vegas using chips as money to buy beer. <laughs> well, you know, my, 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 parent, my parents used to go all the time, right? And, of course, they were devout Catholics, and they would go to church on Sunday in Vegas, right? So the, the stepfather would say the priest during his homily would always say, we're going to pass the hat, and by the way, we'll take anybody's chips. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? You know, the, uh, but, yeah, the, uh, but the, 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 the reds are five, the, the greens are 25, and the blacks are... Uh, Hundred. Yeah. What, what's the, they got five hundred too? What are they? Gold or something? Oh, I don't play at that table. Yeah, I don't play at that table either. But yeah. I used to. I used, well, I used to love playing blackjack. But, but I'm saying you, you you look at this and you wonder to yourself. I mean, but that's you know that's the thing. If if you have a stock that went up twenty percent last year, the hardest thing to suggest to a client is that stock is now a bigger part of your portfolio than we started out wanting it to be. We should lighten up on that stock. Yeah, but that's my winner. Why would I sell my winner? Well, because because yeah. that, that's that's the weird part, the responsibility you have. Of course, nobody nobody I won't say nobody. A lot of people don't want a broker anymore. Why I don't know, uh, but they think the brokers all they do is rip them off. Well, come on. I mean, it's like you know, I whatever. But, but that, that's an attitude of a lot of people. They can do everything themselves. Well, guess what? You can't. I mean, especially if you're doing anything complicated, you can't. Uh, but having well, there's a Metallica song that sings about this: "Shortest straw, right? Your luck runs out. Eventually, your luck runs out." So, well, uh, but it's you, not. It's not. Rolling down. But if you have a, I mean, if you have, if you put together, let's say before there were indexes, if you had a million bucks and said, "All right, I'm going to pick 20 stocks. I'll try and spread them around. I'm going to put 50 grand in a stock, right? Then I'm yeah. going to try and have a diversified portfolio." Well, and let's say a normal year, whatever the hell that even means. You're probably going to have a few that are down. You're going to have a few that are big winners, and you have a bunch of them in the middle that kind of backed around. Um, and hopefully you got dividends on some of them, so money's coming in, and, and you're, yeah. you're a good investor. Well, at the end of the year, one of the hard things to do is, okay, Hal, you're, you're, the one that you paid fifty grand for, well, that's just a winner. It, it doubled, right? And oh, by the way, the other one we paid fifty grand. even though we got a few dividends. It's now worth thirty-five. Well, 
but now you, but now you can't trade last year, right? We got to trade next year. Now if we start all over, I'm going to say, okay, now we have hopefully a million ten, you know. So we're going to we're going to do the same thing, but we're going to put, you know, whatever, fifty one grand in a stock or whatever, whatever, whatever it comes out to be. Well, now we have one that's worth a hundred or more, and another one that's worth thirty five. Well, to get back to where we want it to be, they, we might, they may not be the same stocks, but we want to start out with. 20 again that are even, you know, maybe if that's, maybe we want 10 a little more whatever we decide to do but so that, that entails selling some of the winner and buying some of the loser, which most retail people and really most any people go, well why would I want to do that exactly? Well because it's really hard to have two years like that in a row Yeah, yeah. And this goes back to when I was in grad school for God's sake Back then, there weren't indexes and things like that you could do. Well, there was indexes, but nobody could trade them. There weren't ETFs, uh, and there weren't futures either. Even then, like you'd have one money manager that would out, you know, you have fifteen money managers or twenty. There'd be guys that out outpaced the market the year before, and some guys that didn't. And but if if you drop it down to the, you know, the nitty gritty hell, if you and I back in those days, or even now, if we were going to put together a fund for the state of Illinois or something. We're going to be big cap Bob, all right? So let, let's say, for instance, we look at the S&P 100, the OEX, which is what I used to trade, and say, okay, what are we going to do so different? We want to have a diversified big cap fund, but we want to beat the market. All right, so you and I and Greg are going to sit down and go, all right, wait a minute. IBM is supposed to be 1.5% of this thing. And you go, eh, eh, I don't like IBM. And Craig goes, I think they suck too. Okay, well, fine. So we're going to be one percent instead of one and a half, right? So, but that, that's all we're going to do. We're not going to have no IBM because we have. To, we're trying to get a big cap group, right? Or, or Microsoft. Yeah. And somebody, you know, Greg might say, God, I love this company, but boy, based on its performance now, they're supposed to be six percent of the of the S and P or whatever number is. I don't think they can do the same next year and they did this year. We're going to make them four, and then. uh I'm going to say Lockheed Martin, and you're going to say, man, it looks to me like they got more business than they could possibly take care of. They're supposed to be 1.4%, but we're going to make them two and a quarter percent. But that's basically what you do, right? Is you, yeah. Is you, I mean, it's, this is not, it is, but, and I'm going to say one year, the first year, we might get out of the gate where the S&P, the, the OEX 100 did 7.4%, and guess what? We did 95 yeah. You know, now does that mean it actually if you go back though, chances of us doing that five years in a row with the same portfolio. Now if we did the same yeah. thing I said we should do and, and did it all again next year, but if we just rode with our winners and say we got this figured out forever, I'm gonna say the next year we're probably the other way or the year after. You know, unless Yeah. Well that's the same thing happens in baseball. A guy yeah. a couple a few people have these record couple of seasons, their market value is really high. And the team lets them go, and some other team hires all these guys that had their best years, two years in a row. They hire all bunch of them, and the team doesn't do well. Why? That's right. Because eventually you revert back to the mean, right? Well, there's been, I, uh, you know, I get this core digest thing, and the idea of having people that are that consistent year after year is so rare in any kind of sport, yeah. let alone baseball. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you you see it in some basketball players where the standard deviation is not zero. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, Oscar Robertson. Every game, the guy was a double double. I mean, you knew what you I mean. Every yeah. night, you could. It, it was like the sun coming up in the morning. I mean, Larry Bird. And, and Shaq yeah. was fifty yeah. percent from the free throw line. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's right. 
But I mean, you, you mean uh, if you look back at, I mean, who are the most consistent players in the history yeah. of hitters in the history of baseball? I mean, two names stick out absolutely are Ted Williams and Stan Musial. Every yeah. year, the guys, no matter what. What did, and did, when your when your coach is t- coaching you, right? Your coach is always telling you not to be great. Your coach is telling you what be consistent because yeah. then you're predictable, right? What did Stan Musial end up with the exact same number of hits away as he did at home? Wow, I mean, how do that's you, hard to do because a lot of these ballparks. You, you tweak your, your swing to fit the ballpark, yeah. right? Or the ballpark's built for you, right? I mean, Tony Gwynn's another one. Every year, the guy hit 340. Baseball, <laughs> baseball is so different than other sports because the ballpark is part of the game more than any other sport. Because, you know, in Seattle, the Kingdom was tiny. And then you got Safeco Field, and Ken Griffey did not like hitting in Safeco Field because it was just big and open. And the sea air was heavy, and he couldn't get it out of the ballpark. I'm going to say that in my sports lifetime, there was one sport that was even more like that than baseball. Can you or Greg name it? Uh, well, when it has to come into account, maybe maybe golf. I don't know. Uh, golf, wanna, probably, yeah. Golf. That, that's a good one. I mean, there's people yeah. who will play at the Masters and won't play in the U.S. Open because they can't hit on a rock. I will never play at Bald Head Island, North Carolina, ever again because the wind picks up and my ball ends up with alligators. Oh, I thought you were going to say you're wearing a tube and the tube flew. Bald head island. <laughs> no, I was minus 18 in terms of lost golf balls. Oh age. god. Um you're not you're not a net guy, are you? Net. I, I used to play with my buddy John and Jerry and Dr. J. He'd say I lost 5 but I found 6. I'm positive. <laughs> I mean, I was well, I, o- I was over I was over in the woods and I found somebody else like John does that doesn't count. There, there's a there's a link style course in Driggs, Idaho. And it plays like one of those British Open courses. And that part of Idaho gets pretty windy. And you can hit it, and it looks like it's going to roll up on the green, and you get there, and it rolls off the green, and it's in four-foot thick. Oh, rough. God. Yeah. I was I was plus five that day. I found a bunch of golf holes. Well, anyway, I swimming. It, 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 you, you probably are not old enough, but when I was young, when they only had the six hockey teams, I think only a couple of the, of the uh, rinks were actually regulation. Oh, wow, so it's hockey then. And and, and even the regulation ones, it it was a a length and a width. I'll I'll just take two, for instance, because I I think the the, uh, Chicago Stadium was like 10 feet shorter. I think Boston was like 6 feet narrower, which made a huge difference. I mean, when you're that big. Oh, yeah, 6 feet narrower. But the weird part was I think Toronto and Montreal had allegedly the same dimensions, whatever the dimensions were supposed to be they had. But the, the radius of the curve... Montreal, uh, you went all the way down, and the, and the radius of the curve was almost like 90 degrees. Wow. Where, where the Toronto had this broad curvature. So the Toronto style was when you when you went up the up the ice, you fired the ball into the into the, into the ball, the puck into the corner, and it would bounce out almost exactly in front of the net. So you chased for the the rebound. Where wow. Ma- where Montreal, I think, had incredible amount more square feet of ice. Than Toronto just because of the curvature, so Montreal always yeah. had the fastest skaters because they actually had the biggest rink in terms of square footage, even though the length and yeah. width were the same. So that's why your your, your skaters on Montreal, most teams couldn't win there because they had a bunch of little guys who were fast as hell. Yeah, when they came yeah. to Boston and it was so narrow, the big guys could beat up on the little guys because they could catch them. Yeah. <laughs> 
But did it, they standardize that recently, or, or now they're all? Like it's that? all kind of the yeah. Now they're all the same, I think. Yeah. But that's why one yeah. guy was a. Uh, they asked one guy years ago. And he said, "What about the home ice advantage?" He goes, "What advantage? They're all the same." He goes, "Back in the yeah. day, there was a big advantage. Now they're exactly the same. Why? why Where's there an advantage?" Yeah, your buddy. Uh, well, in football, in football, it's hard because you got the the crowd noise to deal with, but. Other than that, I don't think uh, there's an advantage to home field. I think the crowd noise is the biggest factor. Well, your your buddy John Madden famously said, "Venue never won a football game." <laughs> well, I think in baseball and hockey it might have. <laughs> well, I think it has. Yeah, I think it did. Yeah. But in, yeah. in, in but in football, you're right. I mean, if it, the, yeah. the crowd should be on your side, and if you, the if the crazy fans are in one end zone, I mean, if you go down and play at Notre Dame. Uh, there's not that many students at Notre Dame, not like Ohio State or other places, but still, yeah. if you're down in that corner trying to score a touchdown, if you're the visitor, it's louder in the other end, that type of thing. There's a yeah. little bit of difference. But now that yeah. they have the electronics out to the helmet, what's the difference? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, thank you very much, buddy. So, what are you thinking? Are we, uh, are, are we going to NVIDIA be up 100 bucks tonight or what? Um, Sure. I think the Fed is inflating, so my bet is yes. But they're not going to tell you that because they don't give you the numbers anymore. <laughs> well, the CPI has the inflation, right? <laughs> uh, absolutely. SP Futures down 14. NASDAQ Futures down 84. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.